We're looking at Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 23. So here Paul says, uh, the church in Philippi. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share it in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All of God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Your grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I feel a bit like you. I felt the atmosphere in the room in that passage. It's almost like Paul draws a letter to an end before he actually draws it to the end. He says, to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Everyone goes, Amen. And he goes, greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. <laughs> As if he misses the ultimate climax of the text. So over this past couple of months, we've been um, exploring this series entitled Joy-Filled Living. Are you feeling more joyful? Wow. <laughs> I mean, I know we're British, we're meant to be miserable, but that's different to what I expected. <laughs> There's something about um, this whole series about exploring this letter of Philippians that we can be content, as Paul was saying, in all situations, whether with much or with little, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That is a kind of theme that goes throughout this whole letter, that we will be joyful in our faith sharing, we'll be joyful in suffering, we'll be joyful in serving, we'll be joyful in our friendships, joyful in believing, joyful in perseverance, joyful in thinking, and today we're looking at what it means to be joyful in our giving. Instantly, the tension in the room. Oh, Ross, you need a holiday, don't you? So clearly you're pushing us for a little bit of money. That car's looking a bit rubbish. You want a Mercedes Benz? I don't, for the record. I'm not a massive fan. You'll see this picture of this gorgeous little girl um, behind me. This is Lexi. This is um, Alice's niece. And uh, this is about a year ago now. We went to Alice's nan's for a birthday party. And after we'd had the party in the hotel, Lexi was getting a bit restless 
and she looked at her Uncle Ross, because I'm the game bringer, I'm the one that breaks all the rules and plays all the games that you're not meant to play. So I went outside with her, and we had this sword fight originally, because I'm a boy, and that was fun. Um, but all she wanted to do was pick flowers for her auntie out. That's all she wanted to do. We went around this garden, picked all of these wild and potentially grown flowers by the local hotel, <laughs> avoiding the eyes of the staff inside who didn't look very happy. And as soon as Auntie Al comes out, she comes running up with this little bouquet of flowers with the biggest smile on her face. She was just so joyful. That's all she wanted to do was give something to her auntie. There's something about joyful giving, particularly as seen in, in children, which is really beautiful, isn't it? Would you agree? That kind of innocence, the way they just want to give you something to make you happy or to sort out the problem you're going through, whether that's the last piece of food and it's their favorite cake and they're going to give you a bit and you have to ignore the fact they've been picking their nose two minutes before they give you the food that they want to offer you because you want to accept this joyful gift that they're excited to give you. And this idea of of generosity that we see in children, we also obviously see in adults. It's a quality I feel that as Christians, it's one of the most beautiful qualities we can possess to be a generous person because it seems to demonstrate something of the beauty of God's heart. He didn't give us um, of poor quality and little. He gave us of great quality in everything. He was generous in everything, and we have the chance to demonstrate that. My best mate, um, Andy Fitchett, he taught me about generosity. We would have our time that we always fell out was when we'd gone holiday, um, and which wasn't all the time, for the way that sounded like those ministry expenses are getting more and more. Um, and during the holiday, we'd go and pick food for the chalet we were in or something like that. And I was always quite stringent. I mean, we just need food, really, to survive for the week. Let's get at least money in. Let's all chip in a tenner, and we can get food. But Ali was like, no, we've got a chance to bless the rest of the community. Let's use this money wisely. Let's be generous with what we get. And he taught me endless amounts about generosity, that willingness to, to buy something for others without wanting something in return, to not do it because you feel burdened or, or because it's a guilt, but because there's something joyful about giving, giving to others. You acknowledge that? Something you've experienced? Shane Claiborne um, wrote a book called The Irresistible Revolution. If you haven't read it, read it. Fantastic book about getting back to the basics of who Jesus was, this radical man who, who transformed the world in the way he lived and his act of dying on the cross and rising again. And, and Shane Claiborne calls us back to the basics. Love your enemy. Be people of peace to take seriously the idea of giving everything away in order to help the poor, to help those less fortunate. And he says um, in his book about joyful giving, people who experiment in sharing may begin out of burden or guilt, but they are sustained by the matchless joy it brings. What delight it is to see others receive the gifts of God, especially when they have been deprived of them far too long. One of the beggars in Calcutta approached me one day, and I had no money on me, But I felt a piece of gum in my pocket, so I handed it to her. I have no idea how long it had been since she had chewing gum or if she'd ever even had the chance. She looked at me and smiled with delight. Then she tore tore it into three pieces and handed one to me, one to my friend, so we could share in the excitement. When those who have gone without life's simple pleasures are given a gift, They are so overjoyed that their instinct is often to share rather than hoard. Kids I got ice cream for in India would run and grab their friends and make everyone take a bite. That's the joy 
of giving. I love that image. He gives, he's, he's done a video of it before, kind of portraying something of that, but he gives these kids an ice cream, and they run around, avoiding all hygiene laws, and let all of their kid, mates take a lick of this ice cream because they had this incredible gift, and they want to give it and share it with others. So the question that I'm going to ask um, now and then kind of ask throughout this message as we explore the end of this letter is, are you a joyful giver? Not, are you a joyful person? Because I got a sense of that earlier. <laughs> We're not overly joyful. <laughs> but are you joyful in your giving? So maybe the people around you, turn and ask that question. See what comes out of the conversation. Are you a joyful giver? Go. That's great. Let's begin to quiet our conversations. <laughs> I feel often you guys tell me when it's time for me to come back by just generally quieting down, going, all right, Ross, we've had our conversation. Come back and talk. I'm bored of these guys. Let's go on. So um, the reason I've said this at the start is that at the end of this passage, we often get caught up on the, and for good reasons, the idea about contentment, and I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? Such a powerful verse. But I feel sometimes, maybe for us, the letter of Philippians kind of ends there. That's the powerful bit we take away. Then he goes on to talk about giving in the Philippians, which isn't really relevant to us. And we miss some of the riches in this final bit of the text. So the reason we're talking about giving joyfully is that we see in the Philippians uh, a commendation from Paul. He, uh, he says, you know, these guys are an example of giving joyfully. They gave joyfully to Paul, but they also gave joyfully to the poor that we'll explore um, in a little bit. But let's look at this first point. They gave joyfully to Paul. So if you've got your Bibles open, um, word of warning, there will be four passages I'm looking at in total. I will be finding them with you, so I'll give you plenty of space to find them in your Bibles. Um, but we'll jump around a tiny bit, but I'll try and explain the context to make it clear. And if you are here for the first time and you're picking up the Bible in front of you, please use the contents. I don't know why as Christians who've got this fear of ever using the contents. You don't have to know all the books. Feel free to use the contents if you want to follow along. So Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 14 to 16, part of the passage we just read. It says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles... Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul quite clearly there, commandeering, commandeering, uh, commending, thank you commending the Philippians for their giving, that they were willing to give to him in to support him in the ministry that he was doing. Paul traveling with Barnabas across um, the known globe to, to spread the word of God and to build up churches that had already been built at the start of the church when everything was beginning. And how did he get supplied for? He wasn't working apart from he did a bit of tent making on the side, but a lot of his livelihood, if you like, came from those that were willing to support him, much like as much as you hate to say it, ministers, we're supported by you guys. It gives us the freedom, or those that are a staff that work in the church, give the freedom to do what we do because you provide, essentially. The Philippians were providing for Paul in order to allow him to do the great work that he was doing. But this isn't the only time that Paul's commended for his work. In 2 Corinthians, um, Paul uses the Philippians in an argument against uh, some false teachers that are coming in to the church, false leaders. So 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8 to 
And here Paul uses some really strong language. He says, I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. Obviously, he didn't literally rob other churches, but in the sense that he took a lot from other churches in order to support the Corinthians. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. Right? He's challenging these false leaders. And for those who don't know, the Macedonians are made up of Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. So I'm not going to refer to the Macedonians. Just count them as synonymous with the Philippians, right? He's referring to the generosity of the Philippian people that they were able to give to him when others wouldn't. And he's challenging these false teachers, saying, well, they relied on you for support. I didn't take any support from you. In fact, my only support came from the Philippians, and they were willing to give joyfully, and yet you're following these false, dodgy teachers, and I didn't ask anything of you. The people who supplied my ministry were another church a poor church, as we'll find out in a moment, the Philippians, Thessalonians, and Bereans. Is that making sense so far, right? Brilliant. So after this, um, the second thing that, that I want to point out is that, that the Philippians gave joyfully to the poor. And it's not something we necessarily find directly in this passage here, but it's a broader context. And to find that, we need to go to Galatians 2, verse 9 to 11. I said four passages. This is your third. And here, um, so two Galatians, nine to ten, it says, James, Peter, and John, those esteemed pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles, the Gentiles being the non-Jews, essentially, um, and, they to be, and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I've been eager to do all along. So this is when, again, the church is beginning, and they're going off to minister to different uh, places. I'm sorry, I can't ignore that. Uh, Jen and Will have had a baby on, when was the day? Thursday, little Joa. Well, can you stand up? Can we just give a round of applause? A gorgeous little thing. Look at that. Woo! <laughs> oh, absolutely adorable. I've no idea I was in the sermon. That's completely distracting me. Beautiful. <laughs> so James, Peter, and John were going off to the, to the Jews. And Paul and Barnabas were going off to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, commissioned um, that way. But then James, Peter, and John, as they were leaving to go minister to the Jews, turned to Paul and Barnabas and said, but remember the poor. Quite a random phrase to throw into the whole deal that they shook on, right? We'll go to different places. Remember the poor. Obviously, Paul was eager to do that. One, because it's part of the gospel. It's not a liberal uh, uh, social agenda that you add on to the Christian faith. It is central to who we are as Christians, that we give to those less fortunate, that we help those in need. It's what we see demonstrated in Jesus. The very Son of God spent his time with the poor and the marginalized, giving to them of all he could. So it's not just that that's important to Paul, but it's this kind of pragmatist in him. Because, in fact, the poverty that's been referred to is amongst the Jerusalem church, so amongst the Jews. So Paul's there thinking, do you know what? There's tension between the Gentiles, between the non-Jews and the Jews at the moment. 
the church has started, and, and, the, and the Jewish people who've become Christians are saying, wait a minute, you're welcoming in these non-Jews, and you're not making them circumcised, you're not making them follow all of our traditions. How does that make sense? The Gentiles weren't wanting to do that, so there was this real tension, and part of the way that Paul was hoping to get around that was to get the Gentile churches to give money to the poor in Jerusalem. Can you see how that would potentially build a bridge? So Paul was going around to the different Gentile churches saying, give us money, we'll put together a pot, and we'll give this to those who are impoverished in Jerusalem. And what we read in quite um, dramatic and beautiful words, really, is the response from the Philippians, again referred to as the Macedonians in this passage. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 11. And here the passage says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, And in love, we have kindled in you. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Grace of giving, that's quite a profound phrase. I am not commanding you, although it should have in brackets, although I'm strongly suggesting, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Paul is using the Philippians, the Macedonians, as an example of great rich generosity, saying to the Corinthians, look guys, this is the abridged version, you've got all this money, you're so wealthy, and yet you stopped your giving to the poor in Jerusalem. And who is giving most? The Philippians are giving most. They're going through trial, they're impoverished, and they didn't even wait for us to ask them, but in fact they came to us to see if they could give. They are an example of generosity. They are an example of of someone joyfully giving to those who don't have. And he uses this phrase, uh, an act of grace, or he talks about grace of giving, right? That idea that actually what the Philippians are doing is offering something freely, of their own will that they needn't have given. It's grace. It's, it's God's grace lived out in their lives in generosity. They have experienced everything from a God that they love and worship. Jesus gave everything. The God that we love gave everything. When Jesus died on the cross, the whole family of God suffered. Father, Son, and Spirit suffered and felt the loss of someone they dearly loved. He gave everything that we may have eternal life. And for the Philippians... That grace that they had received, that work of God in their lives, was overflowing in generosity, that they wanted to give their best. They wanted to give everything they could to help those in need. 
That idea of grace at giving, it's beautiful, isn't it? No? Something about God's generosity is lived out in us. So let me come back to that question I said at the start. Are you a joyful giver? Um, Can I just clarify what I mean there? Um, I'm not just talking about tithes and giving to the church, as important as that is. I think we, we can often be trapped in our old mindset that when we think of giving to the church, at times we look on the TV and we see the hypocrisy that's been surrounded by that. You know, I make jokes about it, but ministers having Armani suits and Mercedes-Benz, and we go, well, where is the money really going? But the reality is, within this church, I mean, I don't understand the spreadsheets and finance reports often, but when Aaron sits down and painstakingly explains the details to me, I'm clearer of where the money goes, but it goes throughout this community. It goes through families, through vulnerable adults' work. It goes through youth work, through those who have lots and those who don't have much at all, those who've just come to the country, through the Iranian community we have growing within this church. It goes to support and resource you as well as you go out and serve in your communities. But when I'm talking about being a joyful giver, I'm not just referring to that tithe or that money that we give on a Sunday or that we give to the church. Because there's a broader concept here. That idea of generosity is more a quality, more a characteristic within us than it is just a practice of giving at a certain time, as important as that is. Are you a joyful giver? It comes from the very heart of the God that we love and worship, a generous God. And this idea of, of, of giving is, is part of our worship to God. That's why we give so generously. That we offer a sacrifice to God in our giving. I remember when I was in Kenya, um, it was very different when they come to the time of, of the offering. didn't have bags passed around, but it was, there was probably about two or three sermons, normally about five or ten minutes long, uh, that would relate to giving. I kept asking the guy who was translating for me, what are they talking about? He said, oh, they're talking about giving, Ross. And I thought, that's the fourth sermon. They was like, yeah, they're going on about giving. And then when the time of giving happened, people would literally dance to the front and kind of like be throwing money to celebrate their idea of to us. We would really struggle. I mean, I struggled in that environment. We would see it as a lack of humility. But to them, it was because it was a celebration. It was an act of worship. They were celebrating the fact they had the privilege of giving to God even out of their poverty. What an incredible heart that giving is our worship. And I want to finish with the words from Philippians 4, 18 to 19. Your giving, he says, is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. My biggest example in giving is that little girl that I showed you the picture of at the start, little Lexi. I hope that my life demonstrates that joy that she expressed when she ran up to Auntie Al. I hope that I express that joy when I run up to my God and I'm willing not to just give him a few things, but to give him everything that I have. Because surely if anyone is worthy of sacrifice, if anyone's worthy of our giving, it's our God who gave us everything. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray um, we may know your grace this morning in, in all that's been said, that it won't be um, like the pastor's hit us over the head and said, you're not giving enough, give more, but that actually we'll know that it's in your strength and it's because of what you've done that we should want to give in the first place. So any guilt or burden that's been placed upon our shoulders uh, now or even before, we pray that will be removed and that we will give in, in all manner of creative ways 
not just financially, but with our time and with who we are, because you've given us so much. So may, in, in experiencing your grace, your love, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness, may that overflow from our life into joyful giving. And may we see the impact of that even this week as we go out onto our front lines um, to live for you. We love you, Jesus. And we thank you that we get to give you something back for the many things you've given us. In your name, for your glory. Amen.